Hello and welcome to episode two of the Big Footy Summer Series podcast. I'm your host, or co-host, Michaels, and the Grill, as always, is joining me riding shotgun. How are you, mate? Welcome back from your holidays. Yeah, thanks, mate. Uh, great to be here. Um, before you asked, the only thing I got for Christmas was fat, so... Okay. Anyway, that's how we go. So, that's I mean, it. It, was, it, was, it was a good break, so I'm looking was forward... A- we had a well-deserved rest after one episode. It, it took a lot out of us, oh, but, uh, but we're back. It was emotional. <laughs> well, for Christmas, I actually, I'm actually sitting in my Christmas present, believe it or not. I had a, a man cave made for me, complete with a new Xbox and TV and couch. And so I've got a little sanctuary now Jeez. where I can do all the podcasting instead of kicking the wife out of the lounge room for hours on end. So good result. So that's pretty smart. Like, you've made it so uncomfortable for her that she goes well, I'll have to give you your own room. That's and right. That's fantastic. It took about half a season of work to try and get to this point, but I'm really glad we've got <laughs> there now. <laughs> um, tonight, for we get, we've got a few topics to discuss. We'll be talking about the premiership drought. How many years is that? Well, how many years does it mean before someone is in a premiership drought? The AFL and social media and the AFL Reserves League. But before we get to our topics, we'll introduce our two guests for tonight. Our first guest is a long-time friend of the show, back for his second episode and still the number 11 batsman for Dora Creek, Kangaroos Forever. Welcome to you. Oh, thanks, mate. I was waiting for the grill to pin me with that one, but it's, I've been promoted to number one, so that's all good. Okay, that's good. Okay. <laughs> How many runs have you been making? How many runs? Uh, <laughs> total or average? Both aren't pretty. <laughs> Whatever sounds the best. <laughs> I better not disclose that. (laughs) (laughs) And our second guest is a first-timer to the show. She is the first lady on the Flogcast over on Bay 13. Morgan Ashley, welcome to you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. Hopefully you can um, tolerate us talking crap for a few hours, although from what I hear on the Flogcast, that shouldn't be an issue. No, I'll I'll be ready to go for another three hours, because that's what I'm (laughs) used to. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, Lagrill, you've got the first topic at hand, do you? Okay. Um, our first topic actually comes with us comes to us from Michael's. Um, he was embroiled in a rather serious discussion over the break about a premiership drought and what constitutes a premiership drought. Now, Michael's, before you say anything, do not say six months. I will punch you, um, guys. What do we think? All right, I'll have a crack at it. So a drought is from... I've had a bit of a think about this, just writing some notes up, but I think about 15 to 25 years is a bit of a drought in terms of list cycles and whatnot. It usually takes seven to eight years to go through a list in terms from rebuild to the end where you had to start shoving the old wakes out the door. It took us a while, Boomer, because he wouldn't leave, but we eventually kicked him out the door. Which was fantastic. Had, had he left yet? I thought he was still clinging on. He is assistant coach. Well, oh, he is a he's a sort of like a mentor, sort of you know. Yes. Uh, so he hasn't coach. left. He Not hasn't. really. He never you will. Never get him out. That's okay. That's okay. I like him. He's a good bloke. He won't let you forget him. No. And nor should he. So is he a good bloke in terms of he's actually a good bloke or is he a good bloke like Hawthorne good bloke? He's a Luke Hodge good bloke. He's no, not a Luke Hodge good bloke. Come on. What was the question again? I thought we got lost with a stern look or something. 
Yeah, that happens I, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, Michaels, but you're talking to three North Melbourne members right now. Oh, God. <laughs> I feel like oh, I've been I got set my up. Pack in the mail. I got my pack in the mail. Oh, did you? It, wasn't yeah. it cool how it was a little zip pocket thing? Not an yeah, envelope? pencil case. Oh, yeah. you can put your pencils in there. It's cute. So this is what happens when North has a premiership drought. We start talking about pencils. Yeah, it's <laughs> sad times over at North. <laughs> We could get Quiverier on to no. voice his disgust at the um, the fridge magnets. Oh, fuck no, no. Back to the oh. uh, topic at hand. The reason why I brought this up with the crew um, is that New Year's Eve, we're having a, a big discussion about it, and one of my mates, Daniel, and he will be listening, so hello, Daniel, he seemed to think, and a few others, that it was 10 years. Um, but my argument was I thought it was more closer to 15 years plus, and because of kind of like what you said, uh, K4, about the time it takes to rebuild a side now that we have 18 teams less access to the top end talent and it's already extremely tough to win a flag uh, then the more I thought about it free agency was the other thing as well that makes it harder because even though it wasn't designed for this it's pretty much made the the good teams better um, and the lower teams are just really struggling to catch up so I, I seem to think it's somewhere around the 15 year mark for a premiership drought well given that equalisation is a thing and they want the competition to be equal they'd want to see teams with a flag every 18 years or so so I don't don't think that 10 years can constitute drought if that's what they're wanting so initially I thought that would be the case so any team that hasn't won a flag in 10 years is in somewhat of a drought but upon further thought I'd go with 15 to 20 and then you're in a drought period And it also, I suppose, depends on how close you've gotten to it. Like, um, if you've not played in a grand final for 15 years or not even a preliminary final or something like that, then that's probably more worthy of being considered a drought. I I understand that that's more of a finals drought, but I think if you got close and just missed out, it was just, you know, like it was just, fate and everything aligning not quite as you needed it. Um, so a North not in a premiership drought because you've played prelims or? I think, well, I think your 18 years is pretty much spot on. I was I, I was going to be my answer. So by that definition, I think you could call it a drought of sorts. I Maybe a a soft no. drought for another... For a, I'll call it a another. drought, but it's a successful era in that we did play two prelims in a row, but in saying that, those two prelims, we didn't have the greatest list. No. I think Brad Scott did quite well to get where we did. Oh, yeah, no, and, and I agree with that. Um, I think... Um, but, you know, I mean, obviously, I don't want to pot teams that have, you know, been down the bottom, but say, like, a, a team like, say, Melbourne, who... Oh, please, go really, ahead. Haven't played a grand final since 2000, which has pretty much since then been like I'm not sure if they played many prelims, maybe one or two, maybe one. Um, I think obviously Melbourne supporters, even though they played a grand final earlier than we did, would probably feel that drought a lot more, keeping in mind also that they haven't won a premiership for a while. Um, but Given that they're people, nowhere near it, I think it does feel worse. Yeah. Well, mm. I, I think, yeah, that, that's kind of what, where I'm coming from, okay? Like, like, people will accept, you know, we had a go, 
we made a couple of prelims, we just couldn't get there. Or even like the Bulldogs, when they made those couple of prelims in a row, like six or seven years ago. Um, people will accept that, that, that because we had a crack. Like, you know what I mean? Like they got close. Whether whether or not it was, you know, realistically close, you know, it looked like we were close. Like we were closer with our prelim finals in the most recent times than we were in 2007 when we had no business being in the prelim finals. We just happened to get there. Um, that said, I think 18 is about right because of what Morg said, the, um, the whole equalisation. I think that's pretty much what the AFL want in cycles. So perhaps it's not so much a drought in years, but maybe it's a drought in cycles. And each cycle being... You know, what? However long it has been to you, true contenders. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I, I think the yeah, the list development has a lot to do with it as well. And I was looking on the internet today, and ten different teams have won a premiership since two thousand. So there's been obviously a lot of double ups there, and I think that comes down to the the good teams getting better, um, and the development and the time they've had to put into their teams, but. Yeah, I do agree that if it makes it more magnified if you're not even near finals uh, and the drought might feel like it's been longer when it may not have been as long as some of the other teams who have been in finals a lot but not won the flag. So The good teams got better and the bad teams had no opportunity to get better because of comp- compromised drafts. Mm. Yeah, that, this is a big thing, yeah. Like, I think, um, you know, yeah, teams like Hawthorne, Sydney um, really benefited from that because of something... The last, prior to this year, the, I mean, I'm talking from a North Melbourne perspective again, but um, the previous top five pick that we had prior to this last draft that we just had was Ben Cunnington, and that was in 2009 or 10. So that's a long period of time. I mean, even then, at that, uh, even after that, there was only one other top 10. So that is, that's a really good point, Morgan, in as much as... Those teams that want to improve haven't really had the opportunity to do so. And, you know, it was always touted that free agency was going to help alleviate that, which it ended up not because, I mean, you know, look at how many players Hawthorne signed on to free agency, like, you know, James Forley and so on. So, yeah, it's... um, it's Hopefully now that everything's settled down in terms of the, um, the expansion teams, hopefully it's a bit a bit closer and we'll probably see a little bit more volatility in the uh, top eight over over periods of years. Well, that's the hope, think, isn't it? Well, I think that's what we've seen the last two years. At least we've had different winners and I never thought that I'd be celebrating a Bulldogs premiership and I don't, but <laughs> um, at least it's given the competition some more openness. It hasn't always been the same thing. What, what I think, so that's what happens from now. Like teams that weren't in the eight last year are going to be able to come up and contend. Yeah, and I'm yeah. only saying that from a biased perspective because I want it to be biased. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, but I think you, you're touching on a really good point here that the last two premiers have actually done something quite good for the competition. It's given fans it, it gives of the, teams it gives hope. It gives the shit hope. Exactly. And, I mean... Um, I mean, I, ne- I didn't, after seeing, you know, Richmond's, and joking about Richmond's drought and Richmond's, 
It was a serious drought. It wasn't a joke. <laughs> it wasn't. There was no joking. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I mean, you know, I've got a little. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Okay, I'll, I'll just get it out in the open. I've got a little bit of a soft spot for Richmond, so don't, so don't, so don't have a go at me at the moment. But, um, but yeah, to see that, you never would have thought that Richmond were anywhere near it this time last year, and and they made it happen. So. It's given renewed hope to a lot of teams. Well, to be honest, you never thought Richmond were anywhere near it four weeks before they won it either. But he kept saying it, kept saying it, kept saying it. I mean, that was even like when the um, Eagles made the grand final in, in 15. Um, you know, it was always, oh, they're going to fall over, they're going to fall over, they're going to fall over, and they kept winning games. They kept winning games. They got there. I mean, the grand final didn't go as planned for them, but but... It's really refreshing to actually see a competition at the start of the year that's truly, well, truly up for grabs. There's numbers of um, teams that are actually primed to win it, or or even you know could snatch one, and that and that gives. Um, and I think that lack of uh, predictability um, really gives a lot of fans that that impetus to go to games and to you know. And to not just resign themselves to the fact, oh, we're going to suck again this year. I mean, unfortunately for ten teams, well, that's going to be the case. But, um, but it, I think it's you know that optimism is so important when you're a follower of a club and have absolutely no effect on what they're going to do. Yeah, and the um, as it long, is. As long as it the... doesn't lead, as long as it doesn't lead to Melbourne breaking their drought, I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> like I've got to have a bunny, and it was the dogs, and the dogs won a flag, and it's just not so easy to troll them. Sorry, we're going with Melbourne, and Melbourne make it very easy when they send out finals information. How good is that? <laughs> oh, good lord! Oh, oh! Literally, since the 2011 prelim against Hawthorne, that was the funnest game I've been to. We walked in there with, with no hope. We had no hope of winning and we still turned up. And we walked out of there like we'd won the flag because it was bloody hilarious. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> so, we, oh. so we all sort of agree then that it's about the 15-year-plus mark for the, for a premiership drought. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right, interesting. There you go. It's been decided. It's been decided. Lock, lock the thread. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll move on to the next topic, which is AFL and social media, uh, which is always an interesting topic. I mean, social media is so prominent these days. All the players have accounts. They've got hundreds of thousands or millions of followers. Um, there's trolls left, right, and centre, and it can become a bit of a dangerous landscape. So I'll ask you first, Morgs, uh, how dangerous is social media for AFL players? Well, I think... Like we've seen in many instances, um, cases where footballers are just unable to cope with the reality of what social media is and how accessible they are and how they cannot hide from people anymore. And like Travis Cloak documented and spoke about how difficult he found social media and he found the abuse he copped and things like that. I think it's very hard for players in this day and age to be able to navigate their way through social media. And I don't know what the answer to it is, but 
there is no accountability with social media in regards to you can make an account and you can be anyone you want and say what you like and there is no recourse for those people who you are attacking. Yeah, that's probably the issue I've got with it all is that there is literally no repercussions for anyone. They can say and do whatever they like. Um, So K4, when it comes to social media trolls, they're everywhere. And as an AFL player, do you think it's easier for them to just don't feed the trolls or do we need to have some people to start stand up and and not not standing up to them in a negative way, but just if they're going to make false accusations, just to put them back in their place with facts um, and, and, you know, show that you can't just walk all over them even though they are in the spotlight? Obviously, you don't want to lay you know, yourself down to troll, trolling level, but, look, if you have a good shot at getting a counter troll in, why not have a go at them back? That might, might show them up a little bit. It happens on the bay all the time that counter trolls happen quite often. They're quite successful sometimes. That viewer shuts up a poster for a good week or so. But being an AFL player is obviously a bit different than being a poster. So I think they should just stand away from it in that instant. I think just don't feed them. Well, we've seen instances like Clayton Oliver, Dane Swan, people who have been able to turn the tables in instances where they've been targeted on social media and done it well. But not everybody has that ability. Not everyone's that quick on their feet to find a comeback. And some people just aren't able to switch off from it. So I think in that case, you you literally just need to get away from it. Don't have an account if you don't want to read that shit because you're going to cop it. And I don't think that having your wife stick up for you on social media or anything that like that is very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not going to name names, Trent Cochin, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> and LeGrill, I mean, with all that being said, but, it does make it a bit more of a negative landscape for players, but as supporters of the game and, and reading all their tweets and stuff, do, do we think players need to tone it down, tone down their activity, or do we want them to be more active and more real? Like there's, for me personally, there's nothing more frustrating when you get these robotic answers and just generic tweets and media responses. Yeah. Is it having a negative effect on players feeling com- like comfortable well, enough to be able to be them? I mean, you always used to hear, like, watching, you know, footy in the 90s and the early 2000s, oh, I never read the paper because I just don't read about me. And unfortunately, the same sort of, whilst the same um, sort of, you know, mindset should be applied to social media, it's not that easy because social media is all pervasive and pretty much everybody in this generation deals with social media in one way or another. Um, and, look, it's very... It, like, I mean, the the cop-out answer would be, I suppose, it depends on the individual. If, you're, if you've got a thin skin, then social media is not the landscape for you, even whether you're, whether you're an AFL footballer or whether you're an accountant. Um, because <laughs> you, you make a comment... Um, and somebody's going to pick it up, and somebody's going to take issue with it. Whereas, yep. well, how do you know that, Legrill? What's your experience? <laughs> okay, well, uh, well, I was going to bring this up. I mean, I've, I had a run-in with um, Sam McClure, and in the middle hey, of last yes. year, where I intimated that he only got his job because of his dad. Whilst I knew that his dad had passed, and that's you know that's a sad thing. 
I wasn't having a crack at his dad. However, he took it as such. He shared the message and said, oh, look what it's come to. People are bagging my dad. And I copped, I copped it left, right and centre. And it was, I was actually in a pretty bad way for a few days because it was just incessant, the number of, the number of people. Now, what I, was, what I had said to him was in relation to something he said about North, and, and, that is, and that was regrettable, the way I handled it. And that is a big problem with social media as well because a lot of these platforms, once you send it, it's out there. You can't, you can't take it back. You can't, you know, it's it's going to be circulated like wildfire. And that, that, and look, that wasn't my intention. My intention was to draw to the fact I wanted, I wanted him to be better at what he was doing. And I'm not skilled enough to have put that in the best way quite clearly. And that also is a big issue of, you know, the social media thing. I think a lot of it is, over the top because these people don't have the necessary skills to convey exactly what they're th- thinking, particularly also when, you know, Twitter's, what, 140 characters. you got to try to sum up what you're trying to say very, very succinctly and it can come across completely different as what you intended. That said, obviously the players, um, the players look at it because whether they look at it or whether their friends look at it, it's going to get to them somehow. And I think, you know, a really good example is the Alex Vasolo thing where he was, you know, he announced that he was, you know, suffering from depression, going to take a bit of time out and ended up turning up to training, which in his condition was probably the best thing for him in as much as he was amongst his, you know, his friends and, and he was getting exercise, which is for mental illness, some of the, some of the best things you can do, yet... Mark Robinson's given all oh, the drugs must be good because he's back at training, and it was it was just came across as insensitive. And I'd like to give Rob the um, the benefit of the doubt, where I don't think he meant it in the way that it came out. I think he was just saying, you know, he was just trying to make a joke. And unfortunately, sometimes you might think of a really funny joke that might just be completely inappropriate. If you say it, that can be bad. If you tweet it, that can be disastrous because people will pick up on it and it and it'll just be an absolute controversy, which I, which is what happened. So deservedly so. Well, yeah. I mean, it was a pretty it was a pretty insensitive comment, but it was um, insensitive comment from a guy who loves to take aim at those who make insensitive comments, and true, to yeah. say something is very different than to type it. If you've got time to type it and read it, you've got time to rethink it. And, that, that, and, that's, and that's a very good point, um, considering that he is actually... A journalist. Job, yeah, exactly. His job predicates that he has that presence of mind to convey what he's thinking succinctly. I mean, obviously, you know, if, you know, Joe blows on the couch and Razor Ray makes a silly a silly call and, and acts like an idiot and he's got, oh, that's, you know, bullshit, you're a blah, 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 blah. You, you, can, you can't forgive it, but it's somewhat explainable. That person's not, you know, he, he's not trained in, you know, getting his point across easily. He, he just, he just, you know, posted that purely on emotion. 
And you do see that on Twitter quite quite a bit, and obviously Facebook and all the other social medias, even this site that we're on. I mean, I'm sure there's things that I've typed that I regret typing, and I'm sure everybody on this panel, it's the same. No way. All of my posts have been succinct goal. Everyone. Okay. <laughs> yep, I haven't regretted a thing. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I admire you both because I sure as hell couldn't do it. And speaking of the having to think before we post, um, K4, I'll put this one to you. Do we then, as followers of these AFL social media platforms, various plays, do we really need to start stopping and thinking a lot more before posting comments? Because at the end of the day, no matter if they earn 100000 500000 whatever it might be, they're still humans and they've still got feelings and still got family and friends. Yeah, it is interesting. And yes, to a degree, we do need to think about what we're posting, especially if it is a sensitive topic like a death in the family, the Fasolo stuff, depression, etc. The sensitive topics, yes, we need to think about it. But in terms of heckling, we've been heckling AFL players for, what, 130 years, 140 years now? Come on, they're going to have to grow a thick skin, the AFL footballs. I think there's a bit of a difference in saying that you couldn't hit the side of a barn to mm, stuff yeah. other things. And I'm like, I'm all for criticising footballers. It's what I do. <laughs> it, it is my favourite pastime and nobody is spared. But I don't reply to tweets by footballers. I have no interest in talking to them or putting things out there on Twitter or anything like that. I'll talk rubbish on football forum, but it's never anything personal. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And that's the thing, and it kind of feels like that more and more that people are forgetting where that line is drawn between going into personal territory and where it's like heckling and a bit of banter and whatnot, and that's when it can get a bit yep. nasty. Yeah. And I think for the most part, it's, you know, I mean, obviously there's going to be exceptions where either purposely or or on or by accident that you do overstep that mark. I mean, like I said, I, I didn't intend to... in insult Sam McClure that way. I intended to insult him about his skills as a journalist, which still is pretty pretty average, but um, you know, there is there is an aspect of the public of being in the public eye that, you know, you're going to have to deal with that some way or another. Whereas, you know, he completely took it the in another direction and that's not what I intended at all. But you know, we at what point does the individual, you know, draw the line? I mean, like, I mean, you, I mean, like, like we said again with um, Alex Vasolo, like um, a lot of a lot of personal tragedy within a team, or within a player, and even like, you know, when players do transgress, like, I mean, say the Ben Cousins and the um, situation where people have made rather personal comments without the entire context of the situation. I can see how players get, you know, get affected by that because at the end of the day, they are human. I mean, they're not robots. They're going to they're going to want people to like them and they want people to, you know, think highly of them. Um, but like Morg said, if you're just going on, oh, you, you know, you couldn't mark a grade five spelling test, well, then that's, that's part and parcel of the sport. So, and I do think to a certain degree, they do get the media training and presumably they do get some sort of insight on how to deal with it. Um, also, they do get, you know, 
um, paid rather well for what they do. And with that, there is, you know, there's obviously negatives and reasons why they get paid more than the average job. But um, it's an interesting comment, um, concept, uh, well, idea, whether or not, you know, social media and AFL do mix. I mean, it gives it gives fans, you know, access to players that we've never had before. I mean, look, we, on the stern look, we had an interview with um, Corey McKernan, and that wouldn't have been possible without things like Twitter. So it's, um, I don't think there's ever going to be the right balance struck. I think it is going to be just a, you know, a thing of trial and error. And I mean, I think it's what, what the person making the comment is like, that's going to dictate, you know, whether or not it's appropriate or not, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's always going to be an issue forever and a day, but like you said, it has given us great access to players as well. And I'm in the same boat as you getting past players to come on for interviews is, you know, 80% of the time is just hitting them up on social media. So it does have yeah. its positive ways as well, but um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of negativity out there. But yeah, it's pretty much unavoidable, unfortunately. But um, hopefully, people can just maybe think a little bit more before they try and throw a personal attack about something that just shouldn't yeah. be mentioned going forward. Yeah, yeah, and that's um, and that's always part and parcel of something, you know, when unskilled people try to do skilled jobs, I guess. Mm. In as much as you know, be and and it is and it is kind of a reflection of um of society at the moment. I mean, we do we are living in a pretty uh, reactive time, um, you know, where the hot take is always the the thing to go to. And to be honest, most of the people who would be societal role models, I don't know, the message is almost like be a, you know, be a little asshole or something like that. It is that arrogant sort of me, me, me kind of um, ideal which has, you know, been put forth in your television shows and your music or whatever, or whatever, you know, whatever you do to entertain yourself. So it's, it's a tough one. I mean, I couldn't imagine Twitter in the 60s or, or the 50s or the 40s. It would be, you know, it would be completely different. We might not even be having this argument. But, um, yeah, it's certainly something, I suppose, that we all can, all can sort of just keep in the back of our heads when we're making a comment. Do I really want this to come across the way that it will come across, I guess. Well, it's probably lucky we didn't have Tinder in the 1990s, otherwise we wouldn't have won two premierships with Wayne Carey. <laughs> but, imagine the farmers. Or make- Ashley Madison, that's the one I should have thought of. He only makes girls, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Him and Corey McKernan starting an AFL. Lots of girls. Uh, and that's why I think there should be a mother-son rule when these generations of players. What that is is karma. It's you've treated women so poorly your whole life. Here, have daughters. But that, but it doesn't really punish them. They still get a, you know, they still get a child. They still get all that. Of course, it, it doesn't punishes. punish them when that when that when that child's a teenager. You know, that's <laughs> going to be punishment for him as a father. Well, I mean, it punishes the fans more. I guess is. <laughs> The point that I'm really flippantly trying to make. Stop trying to make it all about North. 
All right, but before we finish up on the social media one, there has a, been a comment come through from a loyal listener, Redhead, so thank you for sending it through, uh, that the downside of social media is it connects you to people that you would never want to meet, which I, I think is true as well. Even though we do have control about who we do and do not want to see or speak to on social media, you always end up following people that you really don't like and it just winds you up and then it causes you to have little outbursts here and there. But that, that is a good point. That is a very good point. Um, Redhead, I think you should be a guest a guest panellist in one of our future episodes. Agreed. That's fantastic. Done. Yeah, so I can stop coming on. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could sub you out now, okay, Corey? Oh, well, that, that'll, that'll be fine. <laughs> Don't be Play nice, kids. Play nice. There you go. There's a hot take. <laughs> All right, All right, moving on. Yeah, moving on to our next topic. Um, obviously, a lot of um, a lot of stock, particularly in Victoria, has been made about. Um, some of the VFL sides like uh, Frankston previously, although they've been um, they've been reinstated, but North Ballarat have been kicked out of the uh, VFL because they just financially can't afford it. Um, with that in mind, and also with the um, with the looks like the added interest of clubs to have their own reserve sides. Do you think it's time for the AFL Reserves League to be reinstated? I'm going to start off with uh, Morgan on this one. Um, what do you think? Absolutely. Bring it back. Bring, we want AFL Reserves. We want them curtain raises. We want them at suburban grounds. It will add so much to the game, to the experience of fans. Be great. But and I like I feel for clubs like North Ballarat and for Frankston for what they've been through, and like I I don't necessarily want to see the end of Williamstown because I have a family connection there and I have always been a Williamstown supporter. Um, but I I do want to see North Melbourne having teams. I want to see everybody in the AFL, all the Victorian teams, having a team in that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, this this coming season, North will have a team, and I'm thinking that I think Carlton are the only one that doesn't have one now, even though they're they're pretty much aligned with uh, Northern Bull Ants. I mean, I suppose. But one of the things, or are they still? Oh, sorry, they're, they're with Casey. Yeah, you're right. So, um, but it from my point of view, I think does St Kilda have one as well? Is that Sandringham or is that finished up? Uh, I, I think it is Sandringham, so you're you're doing quite well to disprove my theory. Um, yeah. <laughs> Any time, it's a bit, hard, a bit harder for you from being West. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but even we're seeing it in, in Perth. I mean, the last two grand finals have been won by Pill Thunder, who haven't fired a shot since the early '90s when they were introduced to the competition. Now they've got a um, you know exclusive arrangement with Fremantle and. It does cut both ways because obviously the club themselves, do they start to lose a bit of their fabric um, in as much as they're not really, a, you know, they're not really a representative of their area, which suburban football is really about. That's probably one of the advantages that it has over the current landscape of AFL. Mm-hmm. Um, 
do you think maybe that, um, you know, and clubs that are non-affiliated, do you think that there's an issue there where they're trying to basically live beyond their means so they, so they can just keep up with these teams that have got AFL talent on their lists? Yeah, so, like, I'll, I'll discuss in regards to, like, Williamstown. So, Williamstown were a standalone club. Then they had affiliations with, I think it was Collingwood before it was the Bulldogs, but when Collingwood was aligned with Williamstown, it really did affect what Williamstown was as a club. And they had stipulations as to how many players they had to play in their first team and how many players played in the reserves and that kind of thing. And it affected the growth of the club, not at an AFL level, but as what they were, a VFL club. And it was unfortunate and... Like, my cousin was one of the VFL players for Williamstown. And I was a Collingwood supporter, so I I was torn. I wanted Collingwood players to play, and then I wanted my cousin to play. And and I, I don't think it was I don't think it was any ben, any more beneficial for Williamstown having Collingwood as their alignment. Yeah. Whereas now they're out on their own, and I don't know if it is financially viable for them to be a standalone club. But I think it's integral to have them in the league and to have clubs like Port Melbourne yeah. and to have Frankston come back. I, I love that they they fought so hard to get their club back into the league. That's fantastic. Just hope that the community can get around them so that they can stay where they are. Well, that's right. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, from my point of view, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it on to you other guys in a sec. Um, I think that that's the thing. I think... For BFL teams, it is viable to be standalone, but not under the current environment. Because for them to get players that would be anywhere near the calibre to, to be able to compete with AFL listed players who are, you know, full time professionals, you're going to be paying money that you just can't afford. Um, I mean, how Port Melbourne is probably the biggest example. They have they they are struggling, yet they're probably one of the strongest and most famous suburban clubs in Victoria and that's um that's a real shame because obviously without that without that suburban support local participation is going to suffer because there's going to be nobody that will be putting this stuff on for the kids or or for amateur players or, or whatever the case may be um so but I think at long the term, the year, at the start of the year Port Melbourne couldn't pay their players they had to play for right. free yeah. That's right. And they and went on to win a premiership. And even then, I don't think that... Um, I think there are still a couple of players that will play for free purely because they want to help the club out because they love that club so much. And and I don't think supporters of that are, you know, strictly, you know, Port Melbourne supporters really, really would appreciate... I mean, I know in the past that they were aligned with North Melbourne and I think Sydney, if you go back really far, I don't think... As a supporter, you would be so passionate and therefore more likely to go and you know throw money over the bar or support the club or, or even sponsor the club if it's just the you know a waste station for a club you've got no no real connection to. Yeah, I have a. I agree that the quality of the football would will drop up mass, drop off massively if there's a, a full AFL reserves. But I think there's a way around it that can still make the VFL uh, and all the other state leagues still fairly relevant, and it's by the use of the TAC under-18 teams. 
Um, I know the I know every, everyone wants to get kids in when they're 18, 19, but if you were to push that age out to a draftable age of, say, 20, when they get a bit more experience and a bit more size and things yeah. like that, you could still use the state league uh, clubs as feeder clubs from TAC to VFL, then to AFL reserves and on to AFL um, yeah. seniors. So there could be a potential to develop a bit more of a pathway for players and it might give more people an opportunity to get more exposure at a higher level and that more people might get drafted potentially. Yeah, I mean, well, even for like kids that might have missed the draft this year, they can go straight into the VFL, you know, for a team. But when there's, say, you know, say North Melbourne have got player XXXX that, they, that have to play reserves in order for them to sort of keep their structures and benefit the, the AFL team, perhaps they won't, those undrafted kids won't get that opportunity. Whereas, you know, if those undrafted kids have more available spots to them, maybe they do develop by playing at that level as opposed to, say, maybe, you know, just say, going to amateurs or, or even going over in the country or, what, or what, whatever they want to do. And I think, yeah, that, that's probably the biggest thing. I mean, in Perth, it's slightly different where each team in WAFL level has, um, you know, your league, your reserves and your Colts, whereas the TAC is completely different, um, completely different from, uh, from you know, from the actual VFL sides. But um, I think, you know, with a, with a more concentrated competition in terms of clubs, but yet more opportunity in terms of players, I don't think that the quality of the league will really drop off that much. Yeah, and the other point I had written down as well, as you spoke about it more at the start, about having, um, having them played as curtain raises, and I would love nothing more than to see an AFL reserves played as a curtain raiser, but the AFL's going to come in over the top with an OH&S ruling about the grounds being overused and and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not sure whether it would get over the line, but I think that would be the best way to do it in terms of getting a crowd there and making it exciting and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, even using grounds, like, for example, if, if North had a home game at Eddie had or the MCG, they could play a curtain raiser in the afternoon if it's a night game, for example, and they can play it at Arden Street or their local grounds, the local traditional grounds, like, if Carlton can get Optus, Optus Oval fixed up because it's an absolute shithole. But if they can get it fixed up, they could do that with their team. Well, it's yeah. good enough yeah. to play AFLW. It's good enough to play VFL. There'll be more people at AFLW. Yeah, yeah, it will yeah be. that's probably a fair point. And the other thing this will mean as well is it would mean larger list sizes for clubs because they would need to probably scrap all of the restrictions like rookie-listed players and things like that. Um, and just let clubs have access to use anyone on the list. So it would pretty much mean each team would have a list of about 60 players to pick from. So that would have salary cap implications as well. They'd have to completely overhaul that system as well, wouldn't they? I guess so, yeah. But also, I I suppose, um, at the same time, that could give rise to, say, something like, you know, adjusting the actual fixture whereas you know if you've got more players on the list you've it becomes more of a squad game sort of more akin to say premier league where you know you can fill because of you've got more people you can fill those spots and and deal with a longer season so i mean there's a lot of a lot of considerations and a lot of you know minor 
branches that you know hang off that and and it's certainly something that i think is worth investigating whether or not it's an absolute reality well i don't i'm not too sure but i would i would like to see it considered i guess yeah i think it's definitely going to head that way um, the other bit of info i found on it was that for an afl club to put up a standalone team i'm not sure if this figure's changed but um, not not that long ago, it was about five hundred grand. So that included licensing fees, um, extra admin stuff, and things like that. So, yeah, some yeah. clubs may struggle to foot that kind of bill straight away. So it, it may require assistance from the AFL to get everyone fully up and running. Uh, but I mean, yeah, if they were going to go down that path and people needed assistance, so be it. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, yeah, this is more a good of the game sort of a situation, really. I mean, like I said. That would be, that, put it this way, I would say doing this for the VFL clubs would be of a more benefit to those VFL clubs than, say, you know, throwing an arbitrary f- figure at the situation and just, you know, handing money out. But, I mean, yeah, I'm sure that the game is generating enough money and to, to deal with this, you know, and to also, in a roundabout way, invest in the grassroots by adjusting the parameters it's um yeah well i mean it's certainly an option i guess but how if you think about it how many clubs are they going to need to fund if like in the scheme of things it's really only carlton melbourne and st kilda that don't have their own team and i'm sorry but if north and footscray can foot the bill to put up their team then those three can too Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I don't know about St Kilda. They can't afford much these days. Oh, they're getting a whole new redevelopment done. They should be able to find it. And I think also back to Morgs' point, by if we do create this separation, I think it might actually give those VFL clubs back their full identity and their heritage yes, and history, yes. which is important as well. You don't want to lose that. And it kind of feels like when they were all linked to other AFL clubs people weren't caring too much about the heritage of the actual VFL club they were a part of and it's important that we still hold on to that. True. Alright, I think that's just about it, guys. Um, Just for everyone listening out there, please make sure you jump onto iTunes and subscribe to the Big Footy accounts and you can follow us on Spreaker as well Um, and make sure you give a rating as well just to help boost us up the, the list a little bit. Absolutely. Um, yeah, if you uh, want to leave a, a positive review on iTunes, it certainly helps us out in terms of getting exposure and things like that. So it's really it's really appreciated if you could take the time to do that for us. Uh, okay, uh, we've got a little bit of time, so we'll, we'll pop into our bonus segment, and it's coming up to the pointy, pointy end of the season for the NFL. Um, um, the divisional playoffs have been run and won, and now we're into the conference championships. No, I'm pretty sure we're running out of time now. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Forks. Forks. I cannot believe you've gone with this, just quietly. I cannot believe you've done this. I've gone 55 minutes without a melt, and I'm not doing it now. Okay, well, um, that was it for the NFL. Um, <laughs> guys, uh, thanks yeah, for joining us. We're talking <laughs> about subjects, anything. <laughs> well, if 
I'll open it to the floor. What do we want to talk about? How are your Christmases? It's great. It's just great. I got a Collingwood jumper with Vic Park on it. It was beautiful. Is that from that um that retro uh, retro VFL site? It's got a whole stack of. No, the um the uh, Collingwood put out a training Guernsey this Guernsey whatever it is Guernsey this year, and it's got um like a it's got the Vic Park stand on it from like I don't uh, know, early early nineteen hundreds. It's beautiful. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. So hey. my delightful North Melbourne supporting boyfriend had to go to the Holden Centre to go and buy that. Um, a keeper. He is a keeper. He's a um, keeper. I wouldn't have gone to Arden Street to buy him a jumper, but that's all right. Especially with those orange training ones. Oh, I bought an orange one once. I don't know why. <laughs> I wore it to the 2007 prelim. And we lost, and I've never put it on again. Uh, I do like the uh, North Melbourne training camouflage tops. They're pretty, uh, they're pretty special. So it's a golden age for merchandise. I think as an AFL supporter. Mm. No, we can talk about the NFL if you like. There was, um, uh, there was a great game on. Okay, there was, um, there was a game where Minnesota won twenty nine points to twenty four. Um, we'll skip over that. Um, the biggest surprise for me was the Jacksonville um, 45 points, 42 win over Pittsburgh, um, a team, Jacksonville, I thought if they were going to win, they were going to basically choke the offense of the Steelers, but it turned into a um, bit of a score fest and Pittsburgh might have got a bit of ahead of themselves, judging by their social media too sort of continue on with our theme, talking about what they're going to do when they play the, the Patriots, forgetting that they had to get over Jacksonville first and they didn't do so. So Jacksonville took great delight in reminding them of that of that fact. I think that's great. I think that is fantastic that Jacksonville players got to go and give it to the Steelers who just had complete disregard for them. And led by Blake Bortles, who managed to put up, like, 38 points against them, um, the Steelers got exactly what they deserved, sucked in. Yeah, I think, I mean, I kind of would have preferred Pittsburgh to go ahead as opposed to, say, someone like New England. But um, once a team starts talking about what they're going to do in the next round, I mean, how many times do we see it in the AFL? Um, uh, yeah. It's just... It's the Collingwood against Port Adelaide thing when we're looking a week ahead and it's Geelong against Fremantle when they're worrying about the week ahead. Like, you just one game at a time. How many times do you have to hear it? Exactly. It's not just a cliche. No. they got to live by it. Um, That's right. Yeah. So, Tennessee were terrible. Everybody's seen that coming. Um, Atlanta lost. That was... Yeah, I mean... <laughs> So basically, we're going to have, I mean, potentially three teams that I don't think Minnesota's won a Super Bowl, and I know Philly or Jacksonville haven't. So potentially, we could have a new a team that haven't won a Super Bowl previously. I mean, obviously, Jacksonville will need to get over New England and Minnesota, Philly. I see that being a 50-50, a true 50-50. But I suppose something that's interesting, and, and it doesn't happen a lot, but Minnesota hosting the Super Bowl this year, 
how good would that be if they could get up? I mean, previous results aside, Morgs, um, to you know play a Super Bowl at their home ground. I mean, that hasn't happened recently. I mean, it's happened a couple of times previously, but not not in recent years. Um, it's too much of an advantage. It should be a neutral venue, shouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't start. <laughs> Uh, Geelong fans, you might do well to turn off right about now. <laughs> no, I was thinking about no, snake. I mean, <laughs> oh, oh, come on. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, it's certainly a, a pretty interesting uh, potential matchup for the Super Bowl, no matter which way it falls. And um, I just hope that Bill Belichick and Tom Brady don't take a break from you know, recording their opposition's trainings or um, deflating uh, gridiron balls. But um, otherwise, I think... Um, oh, there's whatever... a hell of a lot of salt there. Very salty. <laughs> <laughs> just a touch. Whatever um, it takes. Just remember that. Yeah. Are we going to settle? Are we going to call uh, New England the asterisks now or what? <laughs> the asterisks. Call them the <laughs> greatest of all time. Yeah, the goats. Yeah, well, I mean, begrudgingly, I'd have to accept that, but, you know, I don't want to. Um, but, yeah. Well, if, if he wins six, you've got nothing to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I you've got nothing got, to say now, but if he has another say, three, I've got so much to say now, but... There, there is just no discussion. Yeah, uh, I think I, it's... I, like, am, I am very disappointed that New Orleans did not get over the line. How, how that happened, I don't know, but... Um, I think that that guy would be wanting to turn off his social media very quickly. <laughs> yes, um, and I don't. And to be honest, I don't think the Americans are as forgiving in terms of their social media use than we are over here in Australia. Um, no, <laughs> I, imagine, if, imagine if Steve Bartman had social media when he um, <laughs> when he took that catch. Um, that poor guy just being a supporter would <laughs> like he went into hiding. He wasn't even yeah, a player. Yeah. And, but it was funny, apparently the Cubs offered him a, a championship ring. Yeah. So that was a kind of a nice little, you know, end to the story. But Oh, I don't, oh. I don't know about that. The rest of his life kind of sucked. I said the end of the story. I mean... <laughs> don't know if it makes it up for the fact that he's... So anyway, who's your pick for the Super Bowl champs? I'm going to put you all on the spot here. New England. Yep, okay. Patriots all the way. Don't ask me. I don't have any clue. <laughs> I'm going to go against the grain. I'm going to say Philly. Uh, I don't think I, I don't think Philly will get over Minnesota. So no, I think it'll be a Minnesota New England Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, all right. So I think that's pretty for you guys. Thank you for listening. Um. Michael, thank you for driving it. You were sterling as normal. Uh, Kate Four, thanks for giving us your valuable input. And Morgan, excellent first episode. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem. No worries. All right, guys. Um, we hope to have a new episode either next week or the week after. We're dependent, all depending on guests and content. Um, have a good evening, and we'll see you soon. See you see later. You